listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Part 3. Hanging Heavy. Chapter 19. Revelations. One day left. Saturday passed with an alarming speed for Gwendolyn. She was refitted for her bridal gown and well-fed, given back all the comforts she had been missing. She visited with Aaron and Coriolanus, but all they spoke of was the wedding. Nobody seemed to want to know where she had been. Nobody was dying to unravel the riddle of the web of thieves hiding throughout London. It was all focused on the future. The past was behind her now. That afternoon, she sat eating an iced lime sherbet in her room, Sebastian licking her spoon as she did not seem interested in doing so herself. She stroked his lovely, furry head and wished she was as blissfully ignorant to the troubles of the world. She checked herself. A week ago, she had been exactly as ignorant. Was she wishing all that hadn't happened? Viola entered quietly and sat in front of her, eyes alarmed, tones slight and muted. Come with me. Right now. Where? The library. Figuring what this meant... Gwen put on her slippers, grabbed a lamp, and followed her bodyguard to the secret tunnel, checking to ensure they were not spotted or followed. Viola led her a different way this time, turning to the left, and left again until a few shafts of light piercing through from the adjoining room told her they were beside her father's retiring quarters. The voice of the Archduke filtered through. Gwen recalled coming this way many years ago and spying on him. She had nestled with Viola in this dusty alcove, alive with anticipation as to what secrets she might hear. An hour later, after words like finance and tariff had been said many times, she had realized she wasn't actually all that interested in the politics he dealt in. Coupled with this was a gathering feeling of guilt for her eavesdropping. She knew she ought to respect his privacy, even at that early age. And the thought that he might return the favor and spy on she and Viola alone in her room made her uncomfortable. So she had abandoned this post and returned to her room, only to rarely sneak back a handful of times over the years to catch a glimpse of him in repose when he had shut himself away for what she felt was too long. Now she felt his true mindset pertaining to her return would be rather important, and the look in Viola's eyes was making her very nervous. Another voice filtered through. It was Lord Aaron's. And how many ships for the September fleet? One hundred, but these will not be warships. The Spanish Navy is most definitely depleted. These will merely be transports for a third infantry unit. Once again, we shall bolster their ranks with properly attired humans. I am cautious of spreading our firecasters too thinly over Spain. Even after we have called our remaining forces through the gate, the British Isles will effectively have to be emptied. I fear an uprising on our own shores. I shall replace our firecasting prelates in the counties with non-magical officers. Now that the Bargast is all but extinct on this island, there is little cause to station valuable weaponry. 
It is a bluff the English will not call us on. This campaign turns on the axis of a threat of force. And if there are uprisings in France, if Prussia anticipate our intent? Then it is as I said. We shall have to strike with unyielding and merciless violence, enacting a battle so horrific, so far in excess of what the humans have come to know from their history as the bloodshed of war, that none will choose to engage in another. An unpleasant picture to paint for the sake of fealty. I do not like to think of war as a punishment. It is the peak of a man's ability to affect the world. But occasionally, as with tomorrow's execution of the Hoods, an example must be made. I said it was unpleasant. I do understand its necessity. Gwendolyn had heard enough to make the blood freeze in her veins. She stumbled away from their hiding place and back through into the library. Execution of the Hoods? I overheard right before I came to you. I had to see what the outcome with that bounty hunter was. They'd taken the thirsty hog. Scarlet and, and everyone connected with her is in the Tower of London. Gwen held her hands over her mouth to keep from screaming in alarm. They caught Robin last night at the handoff of the reward. And Gwendolyn was moving. This was too much of a nightmare to stand still and absorb. She ran through Buckingham Palace to the Archduke's quarters. Two guards began to stop her walking in, but her expression was so fierce that they held back. She burst through the double doors to confront Coriolanus and Aaron, who stood poring over a map of Europe. It was dotted with models of ships and armed battalions. Gwen knew enough to recognize an occupation. Pardon them. What? Pardon the hoods immediately. I was the one who orchestrated the entire kidnap, and you're not going to put me to death. So pardon and release them. You're all flustered, sweet pea. Those vagabonds have addled your poor mind even further so that you wouldn't talk to me earlier. I was rather hurt. How about, after your father and I finish our discussion, you and I go for a nice ride on our ponies? Get some fresh air. I'll ensure we're heavily guarded so that this won't happen again. Gwen did not even look at Aaron, but kept her eyes laser-focused on those of the Archduke. Father? Lord Aaron, Miss Heartstone... If the princess and I might have a moment in private, please. Stunned, Aaron set his brandy and cigar down, and, still trying to catch Gwendolyn's eye, left the room. Viola backed out slowly afterward, riven with worry for her princess, and closed the doors. I'm afraid, Gwendolyn, that I cannot do what you ask. Why not? The Hoods are a nest of vipers in this city that seek to constantly undermine our rule, and this fiasco of your disappearance was the last straw. I ran away. I wanted a moment's reprieve from this marriage, this future you have set up for me. Regardless, it is for their mountain of previously allotted crimes that they shall be put to death. Now... I am told by those who inspected you that your maidenhead is gone. I did not want to ask you how or why, but Lord Aaron will need to be informed, so that he is prepared for tomorrow night. I will, to protect your honour, 
allow you to construct an acceptable falsehood about an accident that robbed you of your virtue. Nobody else need know. What time are they executed? What does it matter? What time? Eight bells in the morning. Gwen's face, which was a picture of fury, fell into sorrow. Were you thinking that as queen and empress you could pardon them yourself in my stead? Hmm? Save their lives? I ask you for this one sweet favour. You need never do another thing for me. Considering you ask me for favours every week, I highly doubt that. I swear this will be the last thing I ask of you. Gwendolyn, it makes no rational sense to reprieve them. It makes us look weak. Permissive. All right, then. If you won't spare their lives, then the moment I am Empress, I shall change absolutely everything that you hold dear. I shall start by firing Captain Baltus. He's a black-hearted lunatic, and he makes all Dwarts seem beastly. I shall then commence the relieving of all the prelates and all the counties and giving England back to the humans. And you can forget about sending an armada to Europe. We shall trade with them, but our empire will be short-lived. I shall see to that. Or you could spare the hoods. And you will abide by our wishes and plans. That I cannot promise. I am weary of cruelty. So you seek to dismantle the foundations of Duarte culture, destabilize our place in this world and our own? I seek justice and fairness. I see. The Archduke looked gravely at her. Gwen was shaking with adrenaline. She had stood up to him before, but never about anything as important as this. She had never made a threat so complex and powerful, never put so much on the line with all her heart behind her words. It felt tremendous. And terrifying. Well? The Archduke went to the bookshelf, selected a leather-bound copy of The Count of Monte Cristo, and retrieved from within its pages three pieces of folded parchment. He then walked to the desk and took from its drawers a legal document she had seen before. He slid the folded parchments towards Gwendolyn. Read these for me, please. He was so calm in his request, so steady and stern, that Gwen did not protest. She took it and unfolded it, and immediately recognized her father's handwriting. 6th of March, 1873, by this new world's reckoning. The fourth day of exploring this new Londinium, or London as the natives call it. They are strange and curious, taller in stature than we, but weaker in constitution. It was while patrolling the markets of Spitalfield and burning out a nest of what they call the bar guest that I found a native child. Filthy, unkempt and half-wild, I had to prevent Lieutenant Baltus from destroying her. It was from this child that we recognized the difference between infected and unmarred natives as she had no orange eyes. After I had her cleaned up, she was able to tell me her name was Catherine Layden, daughter of two bakers she had been searching for, for some months. Now read the following legal documentation to me, paying specific attention to the names of the children 
of Edward VII. With a rapidly sinking heart and a growing sense of panic, Gwendolyn read through the lengthy list of names. Albert Victor Christian Edward, born 8th of January 1864. George Frederick Ernest Albert, 3rd of June 1865. Louise Victoria Alexandra Dagmar, born 20th of February 1867. Victoria Alexandra Olga Mary, born 6th of July 1868. Maud Charlotte Mary Victoria, born 26th of November 1869. Prince Alexander John, born 6th of April 1871, died 7th of April 1871. And who is missing? Gwendolyn said nothing. The Archduke slid another document under her vision. It was the parchment he had retrieved from his drawer and was identical to the one in her hands, save for only one additional name. Gwendolyn Amelia Gertrude Victoria, born 1st of April, 1866. You falsified my existence. Yes. When she departed London, Queen Victoria had 24 grandchildren. The panic over the Bargast was so great that precious few were keeping track of numbers. By the time the palaces had been retaken and you were in line for the throne, all those of royal blood had been brought on board or silenced, and there was nobody who could challenge your lineage. I have often feared over these long years of your ascent that someone would emerge with irrefutable public proof and would give me no time to act to suppress this information. But nobody has. What does that tell you, Gwendolyn? That you killed far too many people to keep this secret. Perhaps. But more pertinently, England wants you as their queen. They desire you in this palace. We come in with heavy armour and an iron fist, but as we did so I gave them a bird in a magnificent gilded cage. It is you who prevents them from falling into despair. You give them hope, Gwendolyn. You are the beautiful lie. He gazed at her without anger. A despairing people have nothing left to lose and they are liable to do dangerous things that upset the balance. And I am afraid, since you threaten our people's continued well-being with this newfound sense of what you perceive as justice, then the day has come where I have to give up that lie and slam down harder still with this burning merciless iron fist. That is, of course, unless you agree to keep telling it. Keep the songbird singing. Preserve this fragile daydream. Gwendolyn could not speak. She simply stared down at the journal page and the real list of those she had, up until this moment, believed to be her half-brothers and half-sisters. The next name he said snapped her attention back to him. Robin of Loxley. I can tell you feel for him. 
I could let him go as a kindness to you, to spare you pain. But I implore you instead, whatever occurred between you, let that be the dream. Let him go tonight. Let him die tomorrow, and you will be wed to Lord Aaron, and live in comfort in a world where you are the dream, you are the Madonna, and what they wish to be is real. Save them, Gwendolyn. Save them from me. Her shoulders sank, her eyes filled with tears. Coriolanus approached and took her hands in his. The words were soft, gentle, if you are in agreement, then let me spare you the pain in another way. You shall see Dr. Marcus immediately. I will have him brought here to the palace. He can help you forget this thief. And then, my daughter, you shall truly be free. Slowly, quietly, Gwendolyn nodded raised herself to her feet, and went to her chambers. Soon Dr. Marcus was in her room, speaking to her in his clipped tones, his metronome ticking away. The next morning in the great courtyard of the Tower of London, at one minute to eight bells, Robin Hood looked up into the cold, clear sky from his place atop the gallows. That morning, four miles west up the River Thames, Princess Gwendolyn was married to Lord Arryn, unifying the houses of Skygrail and Saxe-Coburg. She became queen of two realms. That was The Princess Thieves, book five of the New Century Multiverse. Written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Princess Gwendolyn was performed by Theo Lee. Viola and Dashuria were performed by Loretta Saylor. Mortimer and Scarlet, performed by Sharon Shaw. Old Meg, performed by Maureen Foley. Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle. Robin, Skendel, Jack and Coriolanus, performed by Alex Shaw. The Nag, Yetmir and Captain Baltus, performed by Spencer Lieb. Ajax, performed by Alastair Stewart. Simpson, Dr. Marcus and Stoked, performed by Matt Ramsey. Lord Aaron and the Black Shuck, performed by James Batchelor. Nanny T and Marchioness Marissa, performed by Liz Atkins. Simon, performed by Paul Davis. Evans, performed by Pascal Dooley. Tommy, performed by James Perkins. Watchmen and other Londoners, performed by Matt Ramsey, James Batchelor, James Carter, and Derek Ritchie. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. 
Rapture, and Welcome to Chaos, performed by Ross Bugden. All other music composed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio and ASMR Runes. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellas Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. The first episode of Steamheart will launch in a few weeks' time, and that story will conclude Phase 1 of New Century.